I lead us in a congregational prayer, I just invite you for a moment to look at that scripture from Psalms 25, verses 4 and 5 there. Just spend a few moments in silent prayer, inviting God to show him, to show you his ways, and to teach you his paths, and to lead you into truth, and for God to teach you. So if you'd just like to use this scripture just as a, a guide for meditation and invitation to God over your life, let's have a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in a congregational time of praying. Father God, we are amazed by how much that you love us. Even as we have just sung that how wide and deep and long is your love. And God, your word says that nothing can separate us from your love. And so, Father, would you renew us again with that reminder of that God is love. And in you there is no darkness. In you there is no shifting shadow or variation. Father God, we acknowledge you and we worship you, God, and we lay our lives in front of you and we ask that you would show us your ways, that you would lead us on your paths of truth, that you would be our God of salvation. And Father, that you would teach us what does it mean to wait upon you all the day long. Your word also reminds us that you are the potter and that we are the clay. God, before we were even born, you have fashioned our days. And God, your word also tells us that only goodness is a part of that plan over us. God, even the difficulties that we face and the hardship, God, you are shaping our character. But you can only act in love toward us. And that love, again, is wide and deep and long. So, Father, we thank you that you love us with that kind of enormity, with that eternal, everlasting love. And, Father, in the ways that we sidestep that or we try to wiggle out from underneath that and we try to direct our own paths, God, we ask for forgiveness in that. And would you remind us again of this day, what does it mean to walk in your path and to be guided by your truth? God, I thank you for the fellowship of this community. God, you have given us faithful brothers and sisters that have walked alongside us, and we thank you for them. 
God, forgive us when we speak ill of one another. God, we fail to honor each other or respect each other. Continue, God, to show us what does it mean to walk with a sense of purpose and to love one another with the fullness, God, that you have loved us. And God, in the ways that we don't wait on you all the day, God, we are waiting for you to answer many prayers that are on our hearts. Some of those, God, are for people that we love, and some of those are hopes and dreams on our own lives. And yet, God, in the waiting, would you teach us what does it mean to be faithful and to hope and to trust? God, I thank you for this faith family and even for this moment of this time of this day that you have called us together together to corporately sing songs of worship and praise and adoration. God, may that be the wellspring of our life that from our mouths would come praise. God, it is also the time that you've apportioned and appointed for us to hear your word and be instructed by it. Teach us not to be careless, God, with the truth that you have taught us and will teach us through your spirit. God, no doubt you will speak to us today and you will direct us. God, may we be faithful in that, to do the things and to be the people that you are calling us to be. God, may we not be careless with your truth this day. And God, even for the moments of the conversations that we will have opportunity and the people that we will have the the privilege to encourage today, God, may we be bold in that. Teach us, God, how to open our mouths and to speak words of life to one another that would encourage us in this journey. And so, God, this is the day that you have made. May we rejoice and be glad in it. We love you, Jesus. Amen. As you well know, we live in one of the great cities in the world here in Vancouver, don't we? I live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world in Victoria. (laughs) But many of the cities of the world are really unique landmarks in in the minds of people. If I mention names like London, maybe you've been there. Paris. What do you think of in Paris? Romance. I was thinking of the Eiffel Tower, but that's something else, okay? Hong Kong. If I say Hong Kong, many of you think of Hong Kong. Okay, I've never been in Hong Kong. That's one of the things on my bucket list, to go to some of the countries in Asia, um, see what they're like. Tokyo, Beijing, and Toronto. Those are the, some of the great cities in the world. And they instantly evoke images and memories um, in our minds. Do you know that more and more we're becoming a a world of large city centers? 50% of the people in our world now live in large city centers. And I want to share with you this morning as we begin a new series that God has a unique purpose in history. It is more than simply to save individuals. You or you or you. God's purpose is to create a new humanity, a new community, a new people who share the same beliefs and a common Lord. And this new community has a name. It's called the church. And in every city where the church exists, it is to be unlike anything else that the city has ever known or thought about. And this morning as we begin this series, I want to really catch your mind and tell you that this idea of city is crucial. Because cities are more than collections of buildings. 
Cities are dynamic environments of social energy and financial centers and political power. If you live and work in a city, that may define a great deal of your life. The worldviews that we see today, modern and postmodern, those kinds of things, they're all reflected in the city. Different sexual orientations are accepted by the idea of being in a city. You can often do in a city what you cannot do in a rural community, which is more conservative. The arts and the cultures are centered in cities. Cities have colleges and universities. If you want to get lonely, just go rent an apartment in one of the tallest apartment buildings in a city where very few people will know their neighbors. So understand with me, a city is more than buildings. A city is a mindset. A city describes and means a way of living which is very different from living in the country. And what we seldom think about is this, that the life and ministry of the early Christians, often led by the Apostle Paul, was really city-centered. Paul's mystery journeys and acts were essentially ignored the countryside. His work was not in rural areas. When Paul entered a new region, he found the largest city there, and that's where he preached and established a church. And so this morning, starting now and through the next ten Sundays, I'm going to take you on a whirlwind tour of ten cities and churches in the book of Acts. Places like Athens, and Rome, and Corinth, Ephesus, and Colossae. And each church in, in the city will teach us something about what it means to be the church in the city where we live. They'll speak to us about VCBC here in Vancouver. So each Sunday morning you're going to get on our church bus. You didn't know we had a church bus. We tried to afford a plane, but the budget wouldn't go that far. So we're on a church bus. And we're going to take this road trip to visit key cities in the New Testament, okay? And we're going to start our ministry road trip in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a crucial city in the Bible. If you've ever, do I have a slide of Jerusalem coming up? Do I? There it is, okay? If you've ever been in Jerusalem, you will never ever forget this site. When you stand on top of the Mount of Olives and look over the Kidron Valley, there on the other side you see the Golden Dome, you see the Alaska Mosque. You see people going to pray. You see that in the morning dawn from the, from the Mount of Olives. You watch Jewish men and women praying at the Wailing Wall. You, see, you watch soldiers walking down the streets carrying Uzis over their, over their shoulders. Jerusalem has always been a strategic city for the Jewish people. You remember that the Temple Solomon built was situated there. In 586, the city fell to King Nebuchadnezzar and was destroyed. And then the walls and the towers of Jerusalem were rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. Unlike any city, Jerusalem was a city with the symbols of God at its center. Jesus knew Jerusalem well. He made three major trips to Jerusalem. And he prayed over, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stole those who sent you, how I have longed to gather you, your children under, as a hand gathers or kicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Jesus was crucified by the political powers that were in Jerusalem. When John, the Apostle John, thinks of heaven, he thinks of a city. And it's the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Think about that. And just before the cross, Jesus said to his followers, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
But you receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you bear my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's to be the starting point, the center, and then flowing out from there, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. That was his promise to them. Just before we unpack what this is going to mean for us today. Let me take you back to 586 B.C. The city of Jerusalem falls. And the people are taken into exile into the city of... Begins with a B. Babylon. It's the time of the prophet Jeremiah. And here's what Jeremiah says to the people. He says, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says. Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens and eat what you produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. In other words, you're going to have to live in this city. This city which in which you feel you're in exile, which you are, <coughs> you're going to have to learn to live there. To unpack your suitcase. Because you're here for about 70 years. And then he says to them in, um, in chapter 29, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for, for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. Notice the phrase, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. The very city you're going to exile, you seek its peace and its prosperity. And to me that teaches us that the task of the church is to bless the city where it is. The task of the church is to be a great city, a great church in the city. And what God has given to us is to be disseminated through us into the life of the city. What the Spirit does in the church is to be a model for what God wants to happen in the city. The church is to be a community of the Spirit within its city so that the evidence of the Spirit will be released into the city. So this morning, let's go to Jerusalem. Join this early church. A group of men and women wait in Jerusalem as Jesus has promised them. The Holy Spirit settles upon them in a way that lies beyond their imagination. The verbal disunity and the racial chaos of the Tower of Babel way back in Genesis is reversed as they hear the word of God in their own language. You'll need a Bible this morning and through this series. So start with me Acts chapter 4, verse 31. You got it? Look it up. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And all the believers were in heart, one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions were his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace that fell upon them. There was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who bought owned lands and houses sold them, and brought the money from the sales, laid it to the apostles' feet, and was distributed to anyone who would need. We've got to ask ourselves, what does it take to reproduce that kind of community today in our city? I have a sense that many of us, most of us, all of us, yearn for church to be more than a place to go to. We want church to mean a people we belong to. People with whom we laugh and cry and share our lives. 
And our starting point has got to be that God has created this reality for us. The unity of the church is the work and the creation of the Spirit in your life, in your life, and in my life. You are my brother and my sister on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for both of us. There's nothing else for us to do. And so imagine we kneel at the cross with empty hands and to receive grace, and as we come and receive the grace from the Spirit, we are also given the gift of community. We are here together only because of what Jesus Christ has done for both of us. Then why does the unity of the Spirit, why does this experience of community so easily seem slip through our fingers? Why at times can we feel so far apart when the Spirit is made as one? Why do we get political with one another when God has made us to be a community of believers? Why? Let me suggest this to you this morning. This is crucial. The barriers and blockages to what the Spirit brings in community among us are not in structures and an organization. The barriers do not lie in our organization. The barriers and the blockages for what God wants to do among us are internal. They lie within each one of us. And one of the ways of seeing these barriers and blockages is to understand what lies in the spirit of the city. There is a spirit of, I can make up a new word for this, there's a spirit of cityness that gets embodied in our thinking. We're city people. And that means more the fact we live in the city. It means in more ways than we are aware. The spirit of the city, the mindset of the city, lives in us. We think city. And the spirit of the city, by its nature, is antagonistic and in conflict with the work of the Spirit of God who brings community to us. So this morning, let me give you four examples where I believe there's a clash, there is tension between the Spirit and the city and what the Spirit of God wants to do. Got that? That's where the tension is. That's where the antagonism is. That's where the fighting is. And we easily get caught up in the Spirit of the city rather than the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the city, for example, encourages consumerism. That means such things as we see what we want and we go buy it. We get out our money, we get out our plastic card, we want to get our needs met, and we put our needs first. That's why there's so much advertising everywhere in a city. There is no community in consumerism. Consumerism is a city mindset. You see it, you want it, and you buy it. Just walk along Robson Street, downtown Vancouver, and you will see that at work. In contrast to that, antithesis to that, God's Spirit calls us to be a community of generosity. All the believers that said were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. The gift of community that comes from the Spirit of God releases whatever they had. People who had much brought much. People who had little brought little. Community is not about equal giving. Community is about equal sacrifice. They saw the generosity of the Spirit flow into their lives, so they became generous to each other in response. And one of the ways in which we should be able to measure the presence and the power of the Spirit among us is the spirit of generosity. Community grows in the soil of generosity that flows from the heart of God. 
That's why First John says to it, it's his little letter. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother, brackets, and sister, and he, there's no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not just with words or in tongue, but in actions and in truth. Now, we almost automatically think of money and possessions when you read that verse. We need to think of issues like time, one of our most valuable commodities. That is why it is often easier to find volunteers in a rural setting than in a city. For many people who live in the city, the issue is an issue of time. City people are busy with their own lives. We ask the Spirit of God to come upon us. Winston did that at the very beginning of our service this morning. She had the Spirit of God come and settle upon us. And when we do that, we're asking Him to push back the consumerism and the selfishness of our city, that deadly, toxic air we breathe, and invite us to breathe the fresh air of community. Got that? So are we city people or community people? The spirit of the city breeds, secondly, superficiality. What I mean by this, as long as things look good on the outside, we're fine. What is external and shell? We'll call that window dressing. The spirit of the city, we just want things to look good on the outside. But God's spirit calls us to be a community of honesty. Again, you need your Bible. Look into Acts chapter 5. and read a short story. It's a story about two... Husband and wife couple called Ananias and Sapphira. I read a little, skip a little for time this morning. Verse 1, Acts 5. You got it? Now there was a man called Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. He brought the rest, laid at the apostles' feet. And Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from this land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, the money was at your disposal. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down dead. And great fear seized all those when they saw what had happened. The young man, the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him on a burden. That must have been a church service. Ooh. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She said, yes, that's the price. Peter said, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you in also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out. Buried her beside her husband. Then he says, in great fear, sees the whole church. Now we should pause and take the offering. Isn't that a great time to do that? We just stop now here and we should just take the offering. Now note the reason for this event. Keep on mistake this. Note what the essential sin was. It was not the fact that they gave less than the land sold for. That was the right. The issue was they lied to the Holy Spirit and then to the apostles. They pretended to give the whole amount. It was a window dressing. They lacked a basic honesty. Honesty to themselves. Honesty to God. Honesty to the community. 
remember some years ago, a long time ago in a church in Calgary, uh, we were at a communion service, and at the end of our communion service, people often stood in the shared items for need or prayer. And I sometimes asked some of the deacons or whatever if they would pray for them. So somebody stood up at communion after communion and said, I'd like you to pray for whatever it was. can't remember. But I remember I turned to one of our deacons who was sitting close to the front. His name was Jim, an older man. And I said, Jim, would you pray for that need that just came up? And Jim stood up and said, no. What would you do with that? He stood up and said, no, I'd rather not. And just before he sat down, he said, on the way down, I had, and his wife is sitting beside him. He said, on the way down, my wife and I have had an argument. We've not resolved it. I'd rather not pray. And then Jim sat down. I have no idea what his wife said to him on the way home. I mean, that is risky. But you understand, I mean, i got to tell you, most of us wouldn't do that. We know enough about church language. You know what we'd do? We'd fake it. We'd pray. And we would fake it. Jim stood up with honesty and said, No, I'd rather not. I've had an argument with my wife. And I'd rather not pray. And sat down again. And so I said to somebody like, Alfred here. Alfred, would you stand up and pray for that? Hoping that Alfred would really stand up and do that. You know? That he had an argument with Rosita on the way down. And what am I going to do with that now? Most of us are not willing to go to the honest places with people. We don't want to take the risk. We don't want the emotional effort that that will demand. And sometimes we do not know how and when to express our proper emotional responses to people. So you know what we do? We fake it. And if we've been in church long enough, we know the language to fake it. That, folks, is the spirit of the city. It is not the spirit of God. More to be said. We have one. The spirit of the city cultivates loneliness. If you want to be alone, go to a big city, rent an apartment, in the tallest building. You'll never meet anybody. Whereas in the country... You get to know your neighbors. In the country, you see your neighbors. When you cut the grass together, when your kids are playing in Little League, in the city, you may not get to see and know anybody except going up and down in the elevator. And you know, we don't talk to people in elevators. We just kind of go up and down. But God's Spirit calls us to be a community of vulnerability. Let me explain two words that may seem the same. Transparency. It means disclosing ourselves in ways and times where we choose. It's a good place to start. When I share with you, as I've done about some of our family struggles, losing a daughter-in-law, those kinds of things, um, I'm really, in a sense, being transparent. Uh, Many times, pastors um, are not transparent about things. They kind of stand apart from the people. I don't try to do that. I want to be part of you. I'm in transparent. But understand, in those times, I'm still very much in control of what I'm doing. There's an issue that lies beyond transparency, and that's vulnerability. And that means that we give others the right to know our pain, our weaknesses, our struggle. And then in vulnerability, we invite them to have access back into our lives, to speak into our lives, and to care for it. Vulnerability lies beyond transparency, and it is harder. In Genesis chapter 2 regarding marriage, the Bible calls this nakedness. 
It says they were naked and not ashamed. And it's very little to do with taking off her clothes. I have a sense that while marriages have physical nakedness, not all marriages experience this deeper nakedness of the soul, which is vulnerability. Vulnerability in relationships relates to things like trust, openness, risk, being defensive. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says to us, we speak to one another on the basis of the help we both need. We admonish one another to go the way that Christ bids us go. We are both gentle and severe with one another. And then he asks a great question. He says, why should we be afraid of one another since both of us only have God to fear? We're really only afraid of God. Why should I be afraid to tell you the truth? Why should you be afraid to tell me the truth? Because both of us only have God to fear. Now in cities you don't do that. But in a community of grace and mercy, may God give us help to get there. Now these, these circles of vulnerability have to be chosen carefully. Maybe several men meet and pray and share together and one day one says to the other in a, in a, in a circle of vulnerability, you know, I've got to tell you, I have trouble with pornography on the internet. Can you help me? The next time they meet, and one asks the other, how are you doing? They know exactly what they're talking about. They're not talking about the weather. They're not talking about the hockey game. They're talking about how you're doing in your heart. What are your eyes looking at? Maybe two women meet to share the issues of the heart between them as women. There's transparency, but there's vulnerability. And when we do this, we are dismantling what the city is trying to build in us, which is the mask of pretense and self-protection. The Spirit is removing the old patterns of loneliness, and instead the Spirit of God is calling us to the risk of community together. Related to that, the Spirit of the city produces anonymity. What I mean by this is we live in our own world. We live in our own ethics. In anonymity, we don't see ourselves as accountable to anyone else. We do our own thing. For many young adults in a city, this will include their sexual lives and relationships. Anonymity comes from a spirit of independence and privacy, which negates the birth and the growth of community amongst us. But on the other hand, the Spirit of God calls us to be a community of accountability. In the community of the Spirit, we are brothers and sisters to one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to walk together. Life in the city says, how I live my life is none of your business. Get out of my face. It's not your concern. Mind your own business. But life in the Spirit says that I care about you enough. And I'm willing to speak into your life. Let me ask you this morning. Is there someone to whom you can trust your life? Is there someone to whom you can share the blind spots and who can protect you when we feel weak and vulnerable? That is the agony and the ecstasy of community. So here are four things. Generosity, honesty, vulnerability, Accountability. They come from the experience of community as the Spirit of God is at work in us. They are to create a community that the city does not really know anything about. 
This kind of people, living like that, Jeremiah says, will bless the city in which they live. Acts says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's the residents of the city. Now that's different from the spirit of the city at work. Where do we start? Well, in one sense, there's nothing to do. The work's already done, as I've told you. We're brothers and sisters because of the cross. And if there's barriers, and we do not experience the unity and the joy of community, the openness together, it is because the spirit of the city, got that? The spirit of the city has has left a residue in our lives. The spirit of the city has left something in us that gets in the road of what the Spirit of God wants to do. Community is hard in a city because there's increased density. We travel from different directions to come together on Sundays. And then we go drive home. The anonymity of the city allows me. We have to work harder to overcome these things. But can you sense this morning that the starting place has been created for us? The Spirit has implanted the DNA in this church, this need, this drive, this incentive, this yearning to be the people of God in our city. May we not be anything less than the community that the Spirit of God created and wants us to be. May we be and become the community that the Spirit calls us to be in this city of Vancouver where we live. So that as Jeremiah says, we will bless our city. Got it? Stand with me, please, and when some come on back. Let's pray together. <laughs> so, Father, we may have to confess that there's a lot of the spirit of the city in us, a lot of residue, stuff left in our bones in our minds. Forgive us for that. And this morning, as Winsome asked at the beginning of the service, Spirit of God, would you come? Would you give us this morning an inkling, a vision, a taste, a yearning, a longing, a hunger for being the Spirit of God, the people that the Spirit of God wants us to be and become? Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.